Okay, I'm going to do that again because this is going to be my first podcast. Okay. So welcome to Heart-Centered Conversations, Jen Horse. I'm so excited to have you here. So first I'm just going to um, let you tell us about who you are and then tell us about what you do because we're going to really talk about, I want to just like go from there with the things that you're doing right now. So well, you know, it's interesting. I kind of describe myself as in transition right now. Okay. Uh, I just, you know, completed my master's degree in May and um, wow, what a journey that was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had no clue when people told me in the past that they were getting their master's. I just thought, oh, okay, that's nice. You know, good job. <laughs> Wait, you know, and I had no clue what that really meant. That is such a big thing. Um, and so, you know, I w I've been telling people, uh, you know, you get done with school and everybody's excited for you and they're like, what are you gonna do next? And you just feel like the world is in front of you. Even at my age, I still feel that way. And um, then there's this big like, well, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I just expected it to just present itself. Um, and I still think it will, you know, so um, it's only been a little over a month. So like, that's not very long. <laughs> it's not very long, but it is right. Because it yeah. took you, you did two years, right? Yeah. Three, actually. three. and you're working full time. I was. Yeah. Yes. So it was a three year program um, at the university of Kansas and um two of those years i was also working in what's called a practicum which is um, a fancy word for an internship but you are given a lot more um employment type duties when you're in a practicum than maybe you would as an intern so it felt a lot like having a second job and then also being responsible for um the coursework that was required and then um you know being important in your family and, and paying attention to those things. And so it was a very difficult process in trying to balance everything. Um, at the same time, it was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. So I am one of those people that enjoy school. I enjoy learning. I enjoy the structure of the education system. And so that was while it was so difficult, it was so exciting at the same time. So um, I, I just loved everything about it, even the hard stuff. So I got that completed. Um, and so now I'm just kind of trying to figure out what feels like the next step for me. And so um, the whole time that I was going to school, in um, a few years prior to that, I I've been working with um, families experiencing domestic violence. So that has been really, um, I, I often describe that as my purpose. Um, I believe that that is what I meant to do. So um, I still wanna remain working in that with, with people experiencing that or who have experienced that. And you know, when we think about it, there's really not very many people who haven't had right. some kind of experience with that in some way. And yeah. so, um, that, you know, domestic violence, um, intimate partner violence, family violence, that touches about every aspect of social work that you could enter into. Um, so the, you know, again, the, the options are broad, you know, so, um, I've focused a lot of my work in the criminal justice system because, um, my personal experience um, in life took me through that. And it was, it was really awful um, to go through that system, as we like to say. So um, I wanted to be someone that I wished I'd had when I was going yes. through Yes. And so um, that's really where I've, I've been focusing. Um, but I will say that I'm ready to kind of venture outside of, of the criminal justice system and kind of um, you know, leave that to someone else now and, and work on some other areas. So 
Yeah. So, and the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because exactly what you just said a little bit ago, that this is your purpose and your passion and you're in life, right? And I have seen you firsthand work um, with families in domestic violence. So Jen and I met, God, five years ago? Yes, it's almost been five years. I can't believe it. It has almost been five years. And it was so funny because we were working in the same agency and it was my first day, right? It was like my first day and we were in yeah. the kitchen and I don't know who said, I have a kid at, you know, at Walnut. The and I was like, school. yeah, at the elementary school. It was one of us said that. And then the other one was like, so do I, what grade? You know, and it's like third grade. Da, da, da. And it was like, oh my God. And then we figured out that our kids knew each other and they were best friends and we didn't even know it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and yes, then it it's was like, such, I remember. Yes. Yeah. And since yeah. then we, you, we have been in our own inner circle where we've become really good friends, but on a professional level, I've seen you work firsthand with families as an advocate. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you. I wanted to have this conversation with you because I know that this is your purpose and your passion, but I also wanted to talk more about, because I titled this like hope, like this, there's hope in this healing. And as you are continuing on your journey as a therapist, correct? You're going to be a therapist. You are a that therapist is, now. That is an area that I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I know that um, having come from, um, criminal justice and domestic violence and being in crisis services as an advocate and such an amazing, amazing advocate. I see you moving into this same but different, right? Like yeah. working in therapy and actually being able to go in depth with people like past the point of crisis, of that initial crisis and what that looks like. And because I know you so well and know, you know, the things that you are again passionate about talking about i know that you're going to be an amazing fucking therapist <laughs> so that's what i wanted to talk to you about because i really wanted to get your um your thoughts on the type of therapy what it looks like for you what you're hoping for um when it comes to working with people furthering on going into more of the deep healing process I'm so excited about it, but I'm also really intimidated, you know, because I think it, that is a very important and big thing to do with people because when you, um, you know, I know from working with you that trauma is an area that you as well work in and right. that you are very passionate about exploring and understanding. And so, um, while that word has become a very big buzzword right now, it is still such an importantly huge word. And so that is by and large the area that I want to pursue with people. And um, I think that school gave me this um, really like broad exposure to a lot of different avenues that you can pursue that with. You know, you can go in a very clinical way. And on the other end of that spectrum is a more holistic way, you know? And so I, because I am one of those people that enjoys learning and school and studying, like I found myself really getting stuck over here in this clinical path, you know? And some of the most incredible teachers I had really taught me to stop it. Oh. <laughs> quit pathologizing people and by that I mean like not we don't need to diagnose everyone they don't need a label um so that we can just say here's what you are here's what's right. wrong with you right right what trauma-informed care does is kind of if you're really really working in that is moving away from the label of this is what you are or what we will call what's happening to you um, moving from that into here's a collection of things or, or symptoms, maybe, to, for lack of a better word, um, that you experience as an individual. And like, here's some of the methods we can use to try and work through those things. Because just as we know, trauma affects everyone differently. And so right. what could be very traumatic to me, to you might be, you know, no big deal. Right. Um, and so 
that's true. And then the way our bodies respond to that traumatic experience is very unique, even if we were sitting side by side, going through it at the same time. Right. So um, really moving away from calling people, you know, depressed or bipolar or any of those things, um, but really like exploring um, why you are the way you are, because the really simplistic way to shift that is to go from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. I love that. I know. And it just really lightens your load already by, by asking someone that. Right. And I love that, but I also know that we're so conditioned to what's wrong with you that even when we bring light to that, what happened to you, we almost, it's almost like we automatically then, hear it and then we go back into like, oh, well, that's what's wrong with you. So I find that there's gonna be, and there is already happening this shift, right? The shift happening when it comes to therapy or working with people that is moving us out of that, what's wrong with you into that, what happened to you. But I'm also finding that it's taking a little bit of time. You know, it's taking a lot more, because what I'm finding is that you know, working and dealing with the trauma in our body isn't just like a one shot, like here's the tools and techniques that you need. And then that's it. And people are done. And unfortunately, you know, it's, I find that it's, it's a little bit like that in therapy also, like how many sessions do I need to go to? Like, you know, will I be done in six? <laughs> you know, it's like probably not, or maybe, or I don't know. And so really shifting that, um, paradigm or culture of what therapy looks like do, do you find that as you were working in your masters that you know <clears throat> we have this again another shift in that perspective or that culture of what therapy is or it's okay to get therapy or you know did you find that that was an issue as you were going through your masters um, yeah, so I had one of my teachers um, say to the class that she goes to therapy. And she said, you know, how many of you all tell your clients you go to therapy? And I was one of the few people who raised my hand. And I said, I tell as many of my clients as I possibly can when it's appropriate to do so that I go to therapy every two to three weeks. I need that. That is big for me. And it's not because I'm still working through some deep rooted you know, like depression, or I just need that processing. Um, you know, you've taught me that if we don't get it out of us, it stays in us. And so talk for me gets it out of me, you know, and there's other methods also that I need to explore further, trust me. But talking, you know, I had my, my practicum this last um, year, I was doing drug and alcohol counseling. And the director of that agency, um, she was, um, explaining kind of a shame experience for herself, you know, and we'll talk about that in a minute, shame, but, <laughs> oh, um, damn girl, you're going to take us there. Said, you know, I'm going to say this out loud so that the words don't have power over me anymore. Mm. And I was just like, wow, that is so simplistically stated how important that is. Um, when we put it outside of our head <laughs> right, and out there and we see that people don't run away screaming and afraid of us or look at us like where, you know, we have two heads. Um, it really makes us feel like, okay, like, I, okay. Like I can say that out loud and people will not, um, you know, shun me essentially. Right. So therapy to me, it is that. And what I always tell people about therapy is even if you've worked through something and you feel like you understand it and you feel good with carrying it with you, um, every stage of our life cycle brings us back to dealing with that again because our mm. worldview shifts so much, right? And so we might have gone through something as a child and um, we get to our mid-20s and we feel like, okay, I've acknowledged that. I've told people about that. It's not embarrassing. It's not shameful to me. Um, but then we move into our 30s and maybe we have kids and suddenly we're now really grappling with that again, but in a different way, because right. now we have this human that we really want to protect and care for. And we're worried about how their experiences might, might affect them. And so that can put us back in that place again. And so then we have a new set of ways we need to process that experience. So 
um, we're always going to revisit that. I always tell people you're never going to get over what happened to you, but what you learn to do is manage it and carry it with you in a way that does not overwhelm you. Yes. So that to me is where I'm really trying to shift that conversation around what therapy is. We're always going to need those labels that I was referencing because unfortunately we're all at the mercy of, of insurance and a medical system that we need to access in order to, to pay for those things. Those labels are what those insurance companies need. But as a therapist, I don't need those labels to be able to work through something with a person. Um, and we're never going to fix that person. What we do is try to reframe. We try and pose things in a different way so that maybe it doesn't feel as awful as the story I've been telling myself about myself. Right. You know? So I think those are some of the big things that really good therapists are, are you know, tapping into and, um, you know, trying to explore that in a different way. So tell me your definition of a good therapist. But like what you said, like a good therapist taps into those things. Well, um, you know, that's, that's a very difficult thing to define, right? Because um, clients need, um, or, or the people that we work with all have different communication styles and ways that they receive information. Right. And so um, some clients really need a black and white, you know, like a, a listed out and t- straight shooter kind of personality. Other clients really want a more nurturing personality, for example. And so, um, there's no one good prescription for a good therapist. A good therapist is someone who can connect with someone um, in a way that makes sense for them, but is also able to recognize if they're not to try and refer them to somebody else because Mm. we cannot be all things to all clients. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my style could be very um, difficult for somebody um, because I've, I've struggled with the ones that um, are constantly um, coming back with, with a question to me. Right. So I'll, I'll say something And then, you know, they'll use those, our favorite questions. How does that make you feel? Or what do you think about that? Or, you know, and, and I like those, but I need you to also give feedback too. Some clients don't want feedback. They don't want us to interpret things for them, you know, and so, and some of them want us to interpret every minuscule thing for them, you know, right. so it's a very di- broad continuum of what people need. And so you have to be okay that you're not going to be that person for everybody you know um and and so you have to check your ego at the door (laughs) in a lot of ways not just in that way because just because i i went to school and i have letters after my name doesn't necessarily mean i'm the smartest person in the room you know um and i think that that gets lost for some clinicians um and um and, you know, and, and I understand why, because it's a very hard thing to get to that point. And so you're very proud of it. <laughs> right. But I think the most important thing for us is to listen, listen, listen. And when we're hearing things from our clients that aren't clicking with us, then we need to find an option for them that maybe they could try somebody else. And that's scary yeah. for clients. I just told you my whole life story. I've been coming to you for, you know, weeks or months. And now you're telling me that it's not working, you know, and, and I definitely wouldn't tell a client it's not working. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I would pose it in a way that's like, you know, here's my strengths. And I know this person whose strengths are these things. And I wonder, would those strengths match better with you? Because you know, it's yeah. just be that for everybody. So what advice would you give to a client who is, out there looking for a therapist and maybe is in a therapist uh, relationship that is not working. Like, I mean, you're saying like as a therapist, this is what you would say to your client, but for clients, you know, especially when they're bound by insurance and different things, like they don't know that they can go to another therapist. They don't know that when they're not feeling connected to this therapist, that they can go somewhere else. So what, what would you, what advice would you give to a client? You know, cause I mean, I really find that this could like really either boost them 
into further healing or keep them stuck or take them all the way back to the right. very root, whatever it is that they're dealing with. Right. So we have to really start to, you know, empower our clients and clients, people who are looking for therapists. Um, so what advice would you give? So I give this advice all the time. Um, I love that you used the word relationship a minute ago because that's exactly what it is, is it is a relationship. And so just like if you were out in the, out on the dating scene, dating people, trying to find that forever partner, you're not going to A, date everyone that you come across and B, fall in love with everyone that you've come across. Um, and so your therapist is the same thing. Um, it's a relationship. Now it is a professional relationship with very clear boundaries, True. but it is a relationship. And so do not write off therapy as a whole because you met with somebody that really was ineffective. Right. Um, and, um, I, you know, so I give them options right now in my job, I'm not their therapist. I'm referring them to therapists. And so we have, um, a list of people. And so I provide them that list and I say, look, you know, try one. If you don't click with that person or if that person just isn't making you feel like this is a worth your time essentially and, and or money, then, right. um, pick somebody else and try that out. It's work. It is work. Going to therapy is work. Um, and so you have to approach it that way. Um, because you're there to work on yourself, obviously, but you're also, it is work to try to find the right fit. Yeah. Um, I have been in there in and out of therapy since I was, um, 18 years old. So over 20 years, not constantly, but I've had periods of time where I wasn't. Um, and I have encountered some woefully ineffective therapists, you know, um, does that mean they're bad therapists? I don't know, but it wasn't a match for me. And so, um, there was a time where I'd just be like, well, therapy's pointless therapies. What I've learned is it really works for me. I just have to find the right person. And, um, and I've lost therapists over the years as they've moved away or I've moved away and I've had to start over and, um, that is work. That is such work because you are building a relationship with that person. They have to really know, um, about you before they can really, you know, reframe things for you that will make sense to you. Or even, um, in some cases, if they're offering advice or offering you, you know, what if you tried this? What if you tried that? They have to know you to know if that even makes sense, you know? Yeah. So that's my biggest advice. It's a relationship. And so you have to work at it. I like that. Because yeah. any work that you do on yourself is, is like the hardest work that you'll ever do. It is. It is. And, but it's also like the bravest thing, you know, um, to really um, take on that challenge um, and to constantly um, want to figure out you know, you and where you fit in the world. And, um, it, it's such a brave thing, you know, to do that. So I think acknowledging that too, when anybody comes in like, wow, it's amazing. Um, the story that you've told, and I'm just amazed at what an incredible human you are, you know, yeah. and I feel that every time I hear from somebody new, I feel it. And, um, I'd feel honored that they felt safe enough with me to share that with me. You know, um, I think that's another thing therapists need to remember, um, is, you know, we're lucky, we're lucky they chose us. And so we really need to take care of that, um, relationship in a professional way so that we don't, um, do more harm than good. Yeah. I really like that because I, I don't, you know, sometimes it, seems like there's a lot of therapists that might be overworked because they might be working at an agency that, you know, you have so many clients that you see, you know, 30 people a day and, you know, sometimes can get to numbers and, you know, so I like that you said that it is a relationship and as a therapist, you know, you have a certain responsibility also to like create a safe space, especially yeah. when we're dealing and working with trauma, which I'm, everyone has trauma. So it's like, it's almost like you can't even say people who are coming to therapy or need therapy or should be in therapy. Cause I feel like everybody can benefit from therapy 
and everyone has trauma. So, um, you know, again, it's trauma is the buzzword, but there is certain responsibilities that come when you are a trauma informed or trauma sensitive or trauma aware that, you know, you are building something that has to be safe or you could be causing more harm than anything else. Right. Yeah. So if some, if you, you know, a more advice for people, because I think that, you know, sometimes it's really hard to, to really look at that healing process because people are in such crisis and, and trauma and things that they've been dealing with, they may have been dealing with forever. Mm -hmm. And it's so difficult to look past anything that looks hopeful for Mm -hmm. a future or for healing or what that looks like. So if we had people out there who were like, you know, I know that these things are happening. I know I have this trauma, but I don't even know where to begin. Let's say they don't have a diagnosis. If they're not already you know, in the, in the systematic world of, you know, diagnoses, right. um, but just know that they have some healing to do and don't know exactly where to go or what that looks like. You know, one of the ways you can explore that with people is to look at how they've been coping thus far. Oh, right? I like that. Mm-hmm. So um, we can identify a lot of coping skills. We talk about coping skills a lot and that are, I, in my world, it's a common thing that we talk about. Um, Certainly in drug and alcohol counseling, that is something because guess what? Substance abuse is a coping skill. Um, and we don't like to talk about it like that. We like to pretend, you know, and I'm seeing a huge shift in that, but a lot of people, and certainly when my parents were growing up and in, in, in their generation, uh, the baby boomers, it's a, it's a fatal flaw or it's a moral failing on the part of the substance user, you know, that they are flawed. Um, and that they just can't quit. They're choosing the substance over their family, their job. Um, and I'm hopeful every day that we move further and further away from that belief system because that's just absolutely not true. Not yeah. true. Um, that has become their coping skill. Um, and it worked for a while. But when you get to the point where you're in an active addiction, um, it's not a coping skill anymore. It is part of your behavior. You know, and so just like any other behavior, you know, we, we have to work on changing that if we want to change it, but we have to understand why that behavior developed in the first place, you know, and so there's other coping skills that people develop, not just substance use, um, you know, and there's ones that, that we've, we've identified as healthy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if we're really looking at the behavior, just because running marathons is, is identified socially as a healthier behavior, what is it costing you in your life um, to make it maybe not be so healthy, right? right? And so any coping skill can become unhealthy. So um, when people are, are realizing that there's something going on in their life, usually it's not hey, I had trauma and now I want to go explore what that is. Usually it's this behavior has gotten way out of my control or way beyond, you know, healthy. And so I need to identify what's going on there and and work on that. And so usually we start with that. um, And then, and then as we dig through and we go back and we kind of identify patterns in life and just different ways people have coped through the years, we can see like there's a root cause to that. And there's still a lot of divide around that. There's a divide about that in the mental health community and there's divide about that in the substance abuse community as well um, because the medical model is very ingrained. And I'm not gonna sit here and say that there's not people that have genetic dispositions to certain mental illness because there's clear research and science behind them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's just a thing. Right. Um, but we've never identified genetic components to substance abuse, right? So um, we've tried a lot. Um, but we haven't. So um, that is interesting to me. So I think that um, looking at it from a trauma-informed lens is so important. And there's still a lot of divide between substance use, treatment, and mental health. Um, I'm going to do mine over. It's very siloed, right? Yes. Because we all need funding in order to operate and provide these services, the funding systems have set it up to continue that way. Um, so, um, there's still a lot of work to do, 
But going back to your original point, because I can go down tangents, I'm very good. <laughs> As um, can I. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're always going to look at, um, there's a surface to a reason why someone's coming in or exploring something in their life. It's a surface issue, but underneath that is the roots. Right. And so I think right. that is usually where you're going to see is, um, we see this a lot in family therapy, you know, a lot of families with teens come into family therapy because their teen is acting out and, it's just chaos and I can't control them. They don't have respect, you know, those kinds of, of things. But when you, when you start digging in, it's like, there's some really real reasons why that is. And it isn't because your teen just likes to push your buttons. Right. <laughs> so um, I think that's a big one is if you're struggling with something that you're, that's going on in your life that you feel like you've identified it, but you don't know what to do about it that's usually how you enter the door into um, therapy is, is that. So, but I love talking to something else that you actually introduced me to a long time ago. That is so interesting to me. The more I dig into this is post-traumatic growth, right? Mm -hmm. So we have post-traumatic stress disorder, which is mm -hmm. absolutely a thing. And men, millions of people suffer with that. Um, but then there's this period of after you've identified that and you've kind of dug into why that's there, um, it's empowering, right? To have yeah. that knowledge and that information of why you are the way you are. Um, and to really learn to just state why you are the way you are, not with any loaded emotions behind that um, of why you're bad or why you're not good, but this is, this happened. And then what do you do with that? Right? So it's, it's like this empowering experience to see that kind of light bulb go off with people. And then like, you know, moving into a new phase of it, of like personal growth and just, really seeing the world in a different way than you ever have before. Um, and so that's an area that I think we really should hopefully see the paradigm even moving towards also, because even in trauma-informed care, if we are talking about what happened to you, it's still kind of in a bad way, right? It's bad yeah. that this happened to you. And so moving into that post-traumatic growth phase of, this happened to me and I'm the, I'm these things now because I'm, I grew from that, you know? And so I can speak to that personally. Um, but I've seen it a lot in my families that I work with too. And I just think, um, you want so badly to, it, it's like, you want to bottle that up and share it with people. It's like, if it could be a drink, they could drink. Like, it would just be so amazing. Oh, wouldn't that be so nice? <laughs> so you find yourself sitting with people who are still really far away from that stage Mm -hmm. Um, and just so excited for them and hopeful for them and wanting to move them to that so quickly. And so, you know, you have to be careful about that as a therapist to like, it's a journey and, um, we're all always on a journey, um, even in the good phases, you know, of our lives or in the mm -hmm. balanced phases of our lives. Um, and so we have to, you know, we can't rush the journey. <laughs> unfortunately. So you can't rush the process. Like it's no. all a process. And I like to look at healing as it's very spiralic. So like, it's never linear. We can't go from here to here and it be one straight line. Um, no. it's spiralic. So it, it, you know, it's sometimes it's more intense and other times we're going up and then we like fall back down. And so there's lots of things when we talk about healing and what that looks like. And no. it, it's, you know, there's words like you just said post-traumatic growth resilience, healing, like all of that is like the same type of energy of like moving past these things that have kept us at a certain level. And again, they're not bad. No, they're not, you know, we don't have to define them as bad or good. They're just part of our life and things that are happening that are keeping us from being an entrepreneur or going for that job or being in a healthy relationship or any of those things really kind of looking at where they hold us back in our life. And again, it doesn't need to be defined as good or bad. It's just something if we look at what is the long-term goal, what is it that we want to do and what's keeping us from getting there? Yep. Yeah. So, but I find that your work is going to be, you know, 
like 10 times more intense than my work. Like my work, I'm working with people who are coming to me to get energy work and Reiki and life coaching. And I find that very different because I am working with people who are, I don't want to say healthier or not healthier, but you know, aren't having um, diagnoses or aren't seeing, um, you know, really, I'm not seeing, you know, big mental illness things happening or things that they're dealing with in their life that I'm not qualified to help them with. So I think you get to a place of self-discovery and self-awareness, and then you're exploring the kind of healing that you're doing. And I think that, um, which is so important, right? Because you can go so far, but then you want, you know, once you kind of get on that up, I use the wave analogy, you know, so like when, when things are going well, we're up here on top of the wave and we can see really far and it looks great and the view's nice. And when when things are rough, we're down here and the waves are way up here and we can't see very far and it's dark and, you know, and so when you get up here and you stay up here for a while, um, you want more, you want to, you want to explore a little more and you want to, figure out ways to maintain that. Um, or I'd like to say ways to cope when you're down in the waves again, you know, yeah. and having a, a healthy. And so when they come for Reiki healing or when they come for energy healing, like they have gotten to a place where they're, they're in that post-traumatic growth maybe, or they're in that place of, of furthering their self-discovery. Um, and, and that's such a cool place, you know? And so, we tend to not reach out for more when we feel like we're fixed. Right. Right. And so to have that level of self-awareness and to go further into that, like exploring of, you know, our, our earth and, and just our universe and things. Um, I think that's really exciting place to be with people in, you know? Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I find myself now is, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I do, I still go to therapy, but I'm really moving into this piece of, you know, um, I've closed a chapter with the school part and that took up such a, a large amount of my energy. Um, and I kept telling myself like my self care and like my spiritual health is very poor right now. And so, <laughs> now that I made a pact with myself that I really meant to keep, you know, and so that's where I'm moving into is, okay, I've, I've, I've got that part completed. And so now I have room to really slow down, mm-hmm. which is hard for me. <laughs> classic overachiever, classic overthinker, you know, fixer, all those busy things. Um, I really need to slow down and just be. And so that's where my work's going to be is, is, slowing down and and I don't mean that in like I need to clear my schedule I mean like mindfulness and like paying attention where do I feel things when I'm feeling them and that's been an area that I've struggled with you know like you know you've said that to me a lot and (laughs) and I think in my head like "Eh, you know just like oh I'll figure that out or I don't really want to get that too in tune or um but how can I expect clients to want to explore those things if I'm not doing them myself. And I think that's important for therapists to do. Um, we need to be so healthy and that doesn't mean things aren't going to happen in our lives that we, we have to deal with and cope with. Um, but we have to make sure that we're constantly checking ourselves and where we're at emotionally so that we don't bring that in, um, on our clients. So, and I think that that's true for anybody who's in the service field of helping people um, we have to walk the walk you know like we have to be able to if we're going to ask our clients to do something we have to be able to say that I've done that too like we can't expect our clients to go someplace that we're not willing to go right, right. like it's it's and and I you know again everyone's process is their own process and that's something that they have to figure out but you know bottom line like I, I really can't expect my client to put in the work if I'm not, if I don't put in the work myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I so agree with that because, um, I've encountered a lot of unhealthy helping professionals in my time and it's very concerning to me. Um, and by unhealthy, I don't mean that 
things that have happened to them, or even if they're going through something like a medical crisis, you know, that's not their fault. They did not ask for that. And, and mm -hmm. I don't, but what they're doing with that, um, or how they're handling that is their responsibility because it, it transfers to our clients. We call it counter transference, right. but, but I mean, it, they feel that they feel when we're not showing up and, um, and I can't say I'm perfect, man. I've had some days where after a client leaves, I'm just, you know, negative self-talk is overwhelming me. <laughs> like, um, and I also have had periods in my, my professional life where I'm, I'm, I'm explaining what a healthy relationship is or what, you know, how to handle some, some, some conflict with relationships with even parents or siblings or your, your children. And I'm not doing those things. <laughs> Um, and so I really have to like explore that with myself and figure out, um, why that is and what I can do about it. And it's not always in my control. It's not like I can just go, okay, this is it. And this is how I fix it. And it's fixed. Um, but you have to be aware that it's there, you know? Um, and I think our clients assume <laughs> that we are, we are great, that we right. got it all figured out, you know? And so that's a reason, one of the reasons why I tell them I go to therapy. You should see some of their faces like, what? <laughs> you know, but I'm always working on me too. So being honest and, and vulnerable um, is super important. Mm -hmm. And it's a fine line, right? Because you don't right. just disclose everything about yourself to your clients. Because first of all, they're going to totally deflect their stuff and like try to take care of you because that's easier. It's always right. easier. I used to joke, I still joke, it's, it's really not appropriate, but I always say I became a social worker so that I could avoid dealing with my own stuff. <laughs> but I mean, there is a little bit of truth to that sometimes, you know, it's like, well, oh, this conflict is going on in my personal life. I'm just going to go to work and just really show up for my clients and um, then it'll be fine. But that's my old way of dealing with stuff, right? That's mm -hmm. stuffing, that's numbing, that's detaching, that's all my classic behaviors. Right. Um, and so really getting brave and approaching those things head on is, is so much harder than, than saying it. So I have had many moments like that with clients where it's like, Ooh, yeah. I'm not really doing that. So I need to go check on that. Well, and I think that a lot of people who go into the helping field have that same process. Yeah. You know, like I'm intentioned. It's well intentioned. Well right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I find that most people who are, you know, in the helping field, I'm going to speak, that's my own opinion. Um, having been in the helping field for, you know, 20 some years, um, that we go into that because we have our own traumas that we've dealt with. And we're like, I am going to do this. I am going to help, you know, da 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 da. I'm going to, you know, do this because this is what I've experienced. And so then we stop and again, start taking over somebody else's trauma and crises and issues without dealing with our own. And, yeah. you know, we get into those and I'll, you know, and then we are now triggering our own trauma and the crisis is putting us in a crisis. And so it's, it's really one of those things that is like this circle that just happens over yeah. and over if we don't recognize what we're doing to take care of ourselves. Exactly. And it can sneak up on the most well-intentioned, well-educated, well-meaning, <clears throat> well-trained therapist or healer. Um, it can sneak right up on you. And, you know, and we never, you know, obviously we never tell a client, I know what that feels like. Right. But I, but you also understand what it feels like to feel out of control of your own life. Um, and it may look different for you or it may have felt different. You handled it different, but you do understand to a certain level, like what, how scary that is, you know, to not recognize how to feel in control of yourself, your life. Yeah. And, um, we don't teach coping skills. You know, we don't teach emotional regulation. We observe it and absorb it from the people around us. And if we were lucky, that we grew up in homes where we had healthy adults that coped well and, and showed us those things, then we're great. <laughs> but if oh. we didn't, yeah. Then, no. <laughs> yeah, if we didn't, then what we learned is what we learned, right? right? So um, 
we just, um, so much of our emotional self is wrapped up in what we call mirroring as young children. Um, and, um, and it happens in the womb, but then it certainly happens in those first two years. A lot of that stuff is set and how, you know, that can be really scary and overwhelming if we think about it, but you're always able to learn and reprocess and to kind of rewrite that right see that's scary to say like the first two years because some of us can have like we're like oh shit like the things that i didn't do for my child in the first two years right (laughs) yes and so we can do you know we can start going in on this huge shit shame storm you know but we got we also have to know that our brain you know neuroplasticity of the brain and resilience and what that looks like and what fires together wires together you know Mm -hmm. and that in itself is a statement not good or bad but we can look at it as again what wires together fires together good or bad so if we have those um tendencies that are not good or that trauma that continues to happen fire wire right and then we have resilience and people connecting and we have safe connection and being able to talk about things and regulation what fires together wires together so if the first two years were complete shit shows it's totally okay because we can heal at any point any point i don't believe that anybody is outside of healing like i just i don't believe that whatsoever at all i believe every single person um has can heal yes has the ability can be their own healer can reach out for other people and has can become resilient like i completely believe that yep um yay so do you feel like the job that you're doing or what you're going to be doing because are you actually seeing clients yet Nope. So I'm still working in domestic violence and I'm still kind of trying to figure out what feels, um, I've got, you know, it's, it's really exciting to have so many options. You know, I've never never professionally felt like I had choices in that way, you know? And so it's scary though, because I keep waiting for the universe to like present the one, you know, like this feels like this is it. And I haven't found that yet. Because there's a, there's, you know, I absolutely am ready to move outside of crisis, right? Um, Because there's only so much you can do with a person in crisis. Um, And those people are so important. That crisis work is so important. Um, But I'm ready for something a little different because I think that 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 frenzied feeling um, is is gotten me into a place where I'm ready to kind of take a breath. Um, Really hard work. Yeah. And so I'm ready to like pass the torch or, um, um, move aside and let some other people step into that role. So, um, but I also really, really, really like, um, administrative stuff like leadership and training and, um, helping others, um, program development and that kind of, of work is really exciting for me. And so, uh, private practice is obviously something that I'm exploring pretty intensely, but those pieces are not necessarily part of private practice in and of itself. They still can be. So um, I want to be able to find something that fits fits both of those. Um, Maybe you'll just have to create it yourself. Well, and that's something <laughs> I'm exploring, you know. Um, so uh, it's still, there's still some what ifs, um, but for the you know, for one time in my life, not one, but you know, there's been fewer times in my life that the what ifs were exciting. Let's put it that way. So they are very exciting. Um, I just feel really lucky that I was able to be in a position to, you know, earn that degree because I think it's, it's definitely, um, something a, a lot of people of privilege can, can achieve. And, and it's, it's, you know, we like to say that it's access, education is accessible to everybody, but we know it isn't, you know, we know that, um, you know, the caliber of education is not accessible to everybody. And, um, so I, you know, I have to really recognize that I was privileged to have that opportunity, um, and to be in a place where I get to do that. And so, um, it doesn't make me, certainly doesn't make me any more superior to others who maybe don't have that education, um, because, 
you know, there's not much you can learn that life doesn't teach you. Right? right. So I can learn a lot from a classroom, but life is really our, our best educator. Um, so I'm still, you know, I'm still kind of seeing what I want to do. So, um, I'm going, I do have some areas that I'm going to explore further, um, that are trauma focused. Um, we've got a pretty significant, um, response to accelerated resolution therapy here in Emporia. Um, we have a clinician that's really spearheaded that and has trained several people. Um, our clients have responded significantly to that. And so, you know, when we want to look at therapy as fix me in as few times as possible, <laughs> some people come to therapy for that. I mean, we have to acknowledge that. And so that right. is actually a modality that fits that kind of thought. Um, but um, I'm really excited about dialectic behavior therapy. So um, it is very grounded in mindfulness and polyvagal theory, which is so much about our bodies and our genes, right. and our nerves. And so I'm so excited to explore that more. Um, and I've just recently connected with a group in Wichita that has a big, um, they're a big consort. Nice. Cool. Um, then also, um, I still think, you know, EMDR has been around a really long time um, because it works. And so I'm, you know, I'm really soaking up the body keeps the score right now. And so that book and uh, Bessel van der Kolk, yeah. um, he spent a lot of years, a lot of decades <laughs> working in this area. And, you know, he was really a group of people that spearheaded this, that trauma is really ingrained in our, you know, the issues in the tissues. You right. say that all the time. Yep. Um, and, and he's one that has worked so much on the research behind that. And we really have some exciting research. So yeah. um, those are areas that I really want to get in tune you know, and more credentials, I guess, um, because, you know, I do have to play the game. I have to work the system in order to do the work with people that I want to do. Yeah. So, um, I'm going, I'm playing that game. Like we all do. I, I love that everything you said is like a somatic body modality because like I am 100% sure that again, everything, the issues in the tissue, like we have to be able to move the process through Mm -hmm. um, and really find those ways to help people release the trauma. Yes. So I am in my certification of yoga therapy, and we did a lot of study on the polyvagal theory, but also on um, psoas release and tremoring and how that helps. And so, you know, I'm going to be starting to offer some psoas release, which really is a lot of you know, working the psoas, which is a huge muscle in our body that holds a lot of emotion and helping to um, activate that muscle so that we can start to release the trauma. Yeah. And it's not like the trauma leaves, but the physical shaking of the body helps to release things that are getting held in the body. So, right, right. And so our bodies in those traumatic moments, whether we remember it or not, hold on whole response to it, you know? Yeah. So we released all these hormones and we did, our brains do these amazing things, but then where do those hormones and, and, and things go? Well, they stay. Yeah. Yeah. And we <laughs> live know? in a culture where we squash that and where we're conditioned to squash that. I mean, even medically, when an accident happens, we strap somebody on a gurney, like we hold them down, like, and their yes. body is trying to release naturally what it needs to release. But we are live in a society where we're always holding things down, you know. We gotta control like, the body. Control gotta control. It. I mean, we even if you think about childbirth just in itself, like it's a traumatic experience on the Very. body, and we are giving birth lying down. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, and then when our body starts to move afterwards, you know, just starts to shake. We are, you know, they put blankets on us and. Yep. You have no idea. Like, I don't know why I'm shaking. I'm not cold. Well, your body's releasing the trauma. Yeah. You know? And we're not doing things to activate certain areas of our body to help move us through that process. Right. Yeah. Ah. Okay. I well, know. I know that when you are, when and if you are up and running for therapy. Yes. Um, I am going to refer so many people to you. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited, but I'm also, you know, really, you know, I'm just really, um, 
it's such a big thing that people trust you with that. Um, so I'm also, you know, just really, um, I don't know, nervous isn't the right word, but um, just, oh, like it's, it's very a huge responsibility. Yes, it's just but, a very overwhelming thing. So yeah, you're it's gonna not something I take lightly. It's not just a job, you know, and I feel like I was really later in life when I discovered my purpose, right? So I did not even start, you know, I didn't even complete my undergrad degree until I was 26 or I'm sorry, 36 years old, you know? <laughs> and um, I had a big shame storm about that for years, decades I had, you know? And so it was always such shame about that. And, um, and so it was during that time that I really realized, wow, this is, you know, and, and I'll be honest, you know, my, a, a very traumatic experience happened to me that really pushed me in that way, but that, you know, so I'm grateful that that was the outcome because there could have been other outcomes. Right. And so, um, if that's what it took, then I'm glad that I took that, that opportunity to use it for mm -hmm. something, um, you know, that was healthy and beneficial to others. Post-traumatic growth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Resilient. So, yeah. Uh, that's so I'm excited. It's, it feels, it feels crazy. It feels all these, I have all these feelings about it, you know, so. <laughs> we're going to do great and I'm so proud of you. Okay. So we're coming to the point where I've got our heart centered lightning round questions. Oh my gosh. Okay. I know. <laughs> um, so first question, what is non-negotiable for you right now? Um, so who? Um, non-negotiable are some boundaries. Um, I worked really, really hard on setting some boundaries. And so, um, I'm not getting pulled into some things. Um, and it's hard because I go through this cycle of, well, I know what others are expecting me to be doing right now. And I know that they're disappointed that I'm not doing them. Um, and so then I feel that disappointment in myself, but really, 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 um, worked hard on that in the last several years. I had to set boundaries in order to complete my education in a way that I felt proud of. And so, um, also I spent a lot of time talking to people about setting their boundaries and I, I, <laughs> I had some issues there. Um, oh, yep. And, and with boundaries, people are always pushing on them. Right. Um, especially if you're somebody who maybe didn't have them with very good ones with some relationships. Yeah. Um, you get, you get left, like you feel like you might be the villain you know, and so, um, it's lonely for a while. And so that, that's kind of a big area that I'm really working on right now is, um, setting those, um, setting those boundaries. So. <laughs> okay. Question two, what are you okay. most grateful for? Oh, wow. Man, I'm grateful for a lot of things. So that's a, that's a difficult, like thing to quantify. So, um, I'm grateful for the things that I've learned. Um, and I don't mean that in like school, like in the school of hard knock life, I guess is one of the things, um, cause I've learned a lot about myself. I guess I'm really grateful for self-awareness, you know, cause mm. I, I feel like I spent most like more of my life, not self-aware than I have, um, been self-aware. Yeah. You know, it's a journey for sure. So, um, but the things I know that I didn't know before I knew them, <laughs> you know, and, and also not making yourself responsible for those things until you yeah. know them really big. Yeah. So, um, I use that with clients a lot. I'm like, you know, you're not responsible to know the things you didn't know until you knew them. Right. Um, so, um, it's been a really grateful, that's been something that I'm very grateful for is that kind of the ability to, to explore some of that stuff and be aware and, and, and to learn from it and grow from it. Yeah. Good. Okay. What is important for you in your heart-centered journey? Oh, wow. So um, I know that this word gets used a lot from us that um, spend a lot of time with Brene Brown. But <laughs> Yes, I love Brene. Like, authenticity and integrity are super important. And so um, I find that my biggest shame experiences come from when I feel my integrity is challenged. Um, mm. And I... I know that is rooted in perfectionism. Yay. Again, Brene. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, those, those two things, um, but, but being authentic with people is so important because they feel it. It's not something you can identify or define necessarily. It's a feeling. 
And, you know, I've learned that, you know, our autonomic nervous system very much responds to those things that are mm -hmm. unspoken. And um, so really working hard on attunement and making sure that that authenticity is, is present. Um, and that's not very easy. You know, it's not easy when you just put one crisis to the side to focus on a new one. And, and I find right. that I'm very bad at it when I shift from work life to home life. That is such a difficult transition for me to do yeah. with grace. <laughs> so um, that is an area of continued growth for myself. Um, but yeah, that, that I think is so important to try very hard to be authentic. Good. Last question. Okay. You might've answered this already. What are you reading right now? <laughs> so I am kind of a crazy um, <laughs> thing. So I like to read in the evenings, like on the couch or, you know, just in the evenings. Um, so I've got, you have it right there. Yay. <laughs> I have mine. Let's see. Where's mine? With oh, all I my have... highlights and, you know, just Mine's constant. Not... Mine is somewhere in this bookcase, but I, I thought it was like right there, but it's not. I mean, I have found that I'm almost highlighting the whole book. You know, yeah. you're just like, oh, that's a good, you know. And so um, I find that I love authors that have what I call sound bites. <laughs> Brene is like the master of them. Um, oh, yeah. Pretty good, too. So um, I'm reading that right now. And then I really want to put this out there because this guy, Gabor Mate, he is trauma informed. Um, substance I think I've heard that of that book. Yes. So I'm very excited to dig into this. Um, so I try to kind of read things that um, help me grow in my work as a social worker, but then I also have a lot of things that I, I love to read, true crime. <laughs> so, um, but the most recent, I don't really read a lot of nonfiction or a lot of fiction. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, don't either. I just want it to be a real thing that happened, you know, and I right. know fiction is rooted in real things and nonfiction books are often fictionalized in some ways, but, um, I liked, so I just finished this book about, um, the history of schizophrenia treatment and understanding of schizophrenia. And it was told, um, through a story of a family that had 12 children. Um, they were all born in the, you know, late fifties, early sixties and five, out of the 12 children had severe schizophrenia. Wow. And so it was, it was their life story, the family story, but then it was also um, parallel with how research and understanding of, of schizophrenia and treatment of schizophrenia developed um, up to today. And so, um, whew, there's been a lot of work, um, but it's surprising um, that we still have a lot of unknowns with that. So um, it was fascinating uh, understanding. Um, and I can say that I don't really work with a population that has those kind of severe and persistent mental illness. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not a population that I identify working with very much, um, but it's, it's, it was fascinating. And so I kind of do that on my Kindle right before I fall asleep. <laughs> I have one of those books that's more of a, yeah. like a story versus, you know, some of this stuff you need to pay attention yeah. and really, like right. process and stuff. So cool. Reading right now. <laughs> right. Well, Jen, I'm so glad that we were able to have this conversation because I really believe that our world needs more heart centered therapists. So like, I'm so happy that Emporia, when you get up and going, wherever you are, that there are therapists out there that are, that know about trauma, that know how to help people through it, that are kind, that are loving, that are authentic, that are, that can be vulnerable with people that create safe spaces for people to move through the process of healing. So, and I find again, why I named this um, session, you know, hope like hope and healing, like, because I think that sometimes we have, people have such bad experiences with therapists that then they are never go again. And it's such, it's such a fantastic and wonderful thing to have and find a therapist that meets you where you are, that creates a space that has boundaries, that moves again with a heart centered approach to 
that healing process. So I'm proud of you. I can't wait till you're up and running because I am going to have like, <laughs> you're going to have all the people that I work with. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm constantly like, you know, what do we need to do? Therapy is good. I have a therapist. Here's the therapist. And, and, you know, I have several other therapists that I refer lots of people to, but so I'm glad that you're going to be one of them. Oh, thank you so much. I was so excited. You asked me to do this. Thank you. Yes. I think it's important work. It's so, so, so important work. Like, yep, absolutely. Okay. All right. So when you get your information, we'll post it on our Facebook page and so that people can find you. Okay. That sounds great. And they great. can call you and set an appointment and do whatever it is that you do to get them into therapy with absolutely. you. Absolutely. I can't okay. wait. Yay. All right. All right. So thank you everybody for watching. Um, have a great day. Have a great weekend. And we will see you guys next week.